Thank you for joining us on More Than That, a podcast where we dive a little bit deeper into what was preached on Sunday morning. We hope that this is enriching to your walk with Christ and that you love God and people that much more so that we can extend the glory of God to the people he has placed in our lives. So we'd buckle up and enjoy the conversation. Hey, City Church, welcome back to More Than That. This week, we had um, Joe Gill, who uh, gave us the sermon this week, and I was not here, Joe, so you're going to have to remind me of the passage, but um, if, you know, during the sermon and prep and everything, there's a lot of times where either things get cut because you don't just didn't have time, um, whether it's on the fly or in preparation, and sometimes it's like, no, I I really wanted to dive into something like kind of like a minute detail and get into a little bit more of the nuance that just doesn't serve the purpose, but it's still a cool little cool little thing. So, did you have anything like that and um you got 10 minutes to kind of have the floor? So, floor is yours. Uh yeah, there was a concept in in the text and uh this was in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 5 through 18. Okay. Was the okay. text for the sermon. And uh, it's not exactly a minute detail. It was actually a fairly significant part of the text. Um, at the end of the text in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer refers to the priesthood of Jesus. And I did mention it in the sermon. Um, yeah, verse. Uh, Verse 17 in chapter 2, Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. <clears throat> and I did mention that in the sermon, but it was toward the end, and so I, I didn't go uh, to a lot of time to, to explain or, or expand on that. Um, partly because... The priesthood of Christ is such a major theme in the book of Hebrews that uh, I thought, you know, surely this is also going to be touched on in other sermons um, as well. But it is an important theme in the book. Um, As a matter of fact, Jesus is only expressly called a priest here. This is the only book in the New Testament where that takes place. Interesting. Uh, and all of the all of the other epistles, all of the other epistles, uh, or at least some of them, they sort of use uh, language that kind of suggests it, but none of them come right out and say it. And part of that could have been because it, it might have been actually dangerous for them to do so. Um, for for the Jews, uh, of course, the, the Levitical priesthood was something that was very jealously guarded and protected. And so for anybody to claim uh, that they were uh, that they were a priest, especially a high priest, uh, if if it wasn't if it wasn't uh, considered to actually belong to them by rights, uh, that would have been considered, a blasphemous thing, and then they would have been in very, very big trouble. <clears throat> and uh, and they they even had uh, a biblical 
foundation for that. If you think of um, Korah's rebellion, Korah and uh, I believe it was Dathan and Abiram, mm-hmm. uh, these were men in ancient Israel who uh, tried to kind of lead a mutiny against Moses and Aaron, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, the earth wound up, you know, opening up to swallow them. <laughs> so <clears throat> this was a thing frowned upon uh, to to claim priesthood or especially high priesthood. But when Hebrews was written, um, most likely Jerusalem by that time was under Roman siege and would be falling soon, or it had already been destroyed. So at this point, um, <clears throat> what the book of Hebrews talks about, that the, the old is passing away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the old priesthood, the old priestly administration either was about to pass away in a very tangible way, or <coughs> the, the, the signal passing of that had already pretty much taken place. So it's a little safer now mm-hmm. for people to start saying that Jesus <coughs> is a priest. <coughs> um, so if I had a little more time, I would go into a bit more detail on that concept, um, just because it's something that is relatively foreign to the modern ear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We, we don't have a whole lot of contact or familiarity with priests as they occur in scripture. Our knowledge of priests tends to be more so along the lines of what you'd find in a Roman Catholic church mm-hmm. or perhaps an Orthodox church. Um, I think Anglicans are also, I think Anglicans, that- uh, they, they, they would have, I don't know if they call them priests, but you know, something, something like that, something yeah. like that, uh, a different word, but an equivalent function. <coughs> so in order to, to appreciate the significance of Jesus being our high priest. Um, I would have spent just a little more time talking about that. So, um, when it comes to the function of a priest, it is probably best to start by um, kind of recalling some of the things that we talked about during our series in Exodus. Okay. Uh, particularly with regard to things like God's holiness and the idea of consecration. <clears throat> so, um, just to give a refresher, the holiness of God, it goes beyond just his, his moral perfection or his, his, his purity, his freedom from sin. It also refers to the fact that he is a... He is other... In other words, he is a completely different order of being than we are. <clears throat> and it also has to do with his, uh, the way the scripture puts it, his dwelling in unapproachable light. Um, <clears throat> one of the better illustrations for this, this concept or this idea would be the sun. Uh, the sun is a tremendous life-giving force in our lives. It gives us light. It gives us heat. It gives us energy. We need the sun. If we didn't have the sun, we could not live. At the same time, you don't want to get too close to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even if, yeah. even if you, uh, even if we risk, <clears throat> even if we risk uh, a direct exposure for an indefinite period of time, you know, if we, if we have too much sun, 
then we can wind up harming ourselves that mm-hmm. way. I've done that multiple times. Mm-hmm. Me so. too. Yep. Because I'm I'm one of those guys that uh, if there's yard work to be done, I just forget about sunscreen or any kind of preparation. Oh yeah. Yep. Me too. Uh, shoot. I'll even I'll even forget about <coughs> dressing into cruddy clothes. I'll go out in my in my Sunday duds and mm-hmm. do the work and yeah. But anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah. So so the sun can be a good analogy for the holiness of God, just in in that sense of His unapproachableness. And this is something that arose because of the fall. Uh, in, in our fallen and corrupt state, we cannot, on our own, approach God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, is, this is, for instance, why I think, this is part of why um, God doesn't show up um, the way that, that people maybe want him to or just manifest and <coughs> say here I am basically right because if he did there there would be a total meltdown yeah I, we wouldn't know what to do with that <coughs> right <coughs> um so so that's kind of the the problem <coughs> that serves as the the foundation or the starting point is that because of God's holiness and our corruption, the twain can never meet. <coughs> um, and this is something that you see in the way that, <coughs> in the way that people would respond either to visions of God or even to, <coughs> to uh, the presence of Jesus when they realized who He was. So when Isaiah had his vision of God, um, he said, uh, "You know, woe to me! I am undone." Because I am a man of unclean lips, and yeah, I dwell yeah. among a people of unclean lips. So that was that was Isaiah responding to the holiness, the awesomeness, the majesty of God <laughs> in that way. Similarly, when I think it was it was either Peter or John, when uh, uh, after it was after Jesus had uh, produced the miraculous catch of fish. Uh, so. Um, Jesus, on one occasion, uh, had those of his disciples who were fishermen, he went out in the boats with them, (coughs) or I don't know if he was in the boat with them, but he told them, they had been out all night fishing and had caught nothing, (coughs) and he told them to cast their nets in a particular place, um... And this was funny because Jesus was a carpenter. These guys were seasoned fishermen. So, you know, why, why is the carpenter telling the fishermen how to do their job? Uh, but then they, they bring in this haul of fish that between two boats, it was, it was causing them to sink. They couldn't, they couldn't handle it all. And uh, <clears throat> it was either Peter or it was John who suddenly realizes, or maybe not completely, but they, he at least gets some idea of who he's dealing with. And he turns to Jesus and ha- and says, "Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man." So this was something that <clears throat> that people in the Bible understood was the the unapproachableness of holiness. Um, just as one final example of that, in Deuteronomy chapter five, <clears throat> Moses is with the people of Israel, and he's kind of rehearsing um, what happened at Sinai, and. <clears throat> He talks about when God gave the Ten Commandments, and he says toward the end of chapter 5, let's see, we'll start in verse 22 of 
Deuteronomy 5, the Lord spoke these commands in a loud voice to your entire assembly from the fire, cloud, and total darkness on the mountain. <clears throat> he added nothing more. He wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. All of you approached me with your tribal leaders and elders when you heard the voice from the darkness and while the mountain was blazing with fire. And you said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the fire. So if you're reading carefully in, uh, in Exodus, if you're reading carefully in Exodus chapter 20, Moses is at the foot of the mountain when God speaks the Ten Commandments. So that means everybody heard God. He was, he was talking for everyone to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so in Deuteronomy 5, Moses reports and says the Israelites told to him, Today we have seen that God speaks with a person, yet he still lives. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. Um, and then they tell him, they tell him, you go up and talk to God, and then br- come back and tell us what he says, and we'll listen to you. And um, in verse... Uh, In verse 28 of Deuteronomy 5, Moses says, The Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. He said to me, Oh, you know, I was was really hoping to draw close to these people, and here they are, they're pushing me away. That's not what he said. He said, I have heard the words these people have spoken to you. Everything they have said is right. If only they had such a heart to fear me and keep all my commandments always so that they and their children would prosper forever. So <clears throat> when the people heard God's voice, they were scared. They got spooked. <clears throat> they thought yeah. they were going to die. And they told Moses, you be a middleman because we can't handle this. And God said, that is the proper attitude. So <clears throat> all of that to establish this, unattro- this unapproachableness between God and sinful man. And so the problem that this brings about is that even if man could come up with some kind of a satisfactory payment for his guilt, he still has nobody really who can take that to God for him. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the main functions (coughs) of a priest in the Old Testament. A priest was someone, again, he was, he had to represent the people. As a matter of fact, the high priest represented the entire nation. Mm-hmm. Because the yeah. Bible says he had, he had this, uh, this beautiful ephod, which was sort of like a vest, and it had 12 gemstones on it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, and each gemstone had one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, again, he had... Uh, he had uh, shoulder pieces, and each of the shoulder pieces was set with, I believe it was an onyx stone, and there were six of the tribes inscribed on each of those. So twice, he's got all of Israel represented in his person. And when, uh, uh, when the high priest, if he ever committed a sin, he had to offer an offering for himself, and it was the same offering for national sins. So the high mm-hmm. priest, when, when the high priest went before God, Israel went before God. That's how that worked. Mm-hmm. So the priest represented the people, 
which means he had to be appointed from among them. So you had the Levites, and particularly for the priesthood, the family of Aaron. But these were from Israel, uh, and they were appointed by God. And so this was the mechanism that allowed Israel to approach God. And the priest had essentially two jobs. He offered sacrifices. He was, uh, the priests were the only ones (coughs) who could minister in the tabernacle. And then the high priest was the only one who could enter the, the most holy place, which was essentially God's throne room. Um, and he could only do that once a year. And then the other job that the priests had was intercession. So these were the, the two basic functions of the priests, and they were, they were representatives. They were substitutes. They, they performed their duties on behalf of God's people who could not approach for themselves. <laughs> now, all of this was, this was all um, a foreshadowing. Uh, this was all a teaching tool because uh, the book of Hebrews makes clear that <clears throat> Christ is the fulfillment and he is the substance. The, the fact that the, the Levitical priests, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves because they were sinners too. They, they were subject to death. And so you had to keep having fresh priests to come into the line. Mm-hmm. And then they had to continually offer sacrifices, animal after animal after animal, and sacrifice after sacrifice, because they were foreshadowings. They were shadows. They were a picture. Um, those sacrifices were never able to make God's people truly, truly perfect and truly clean. <coughs> Whereas, and also the tabernacle itself was, it was a shadow. And the book of Hebrews goes into that as well, that the, the temple itself was a shadow of the heavenly temple. <coughs> and even the most holy place was just kind of like a, a satellite throne room, if you will, or a remote throne room of God, a, a model and a shadow of the heavenly throne room. So what it means that Christ is the high priest is that uh, just like with the Old Testament priests, all of God's people, the entire universal church is summed up and represented in the person of Christ. And he now has entered into the, the actual most holy place. He is at the right hand of God. He has offered up the blood of the sacrifice that was offered once for all for atonement for sins. And Hebrews says that he he lives forever to make intercession. So he is constantly interceding with the Father. He is praying for us all the time, uh, interceding for us um, all the time. As a matter of fact, um, <clears throat> When we, when we sin, and 
even before even before the thought enters our mind that we're going to ask God's forgiveness for the thing that we did, we are not the first ones to approach God's throne. Mm-hmm. Jesus is already there. Jesus is already there uh, interceding on our behalf, on the basis of the sacrifice that he's offered. <coughs> so th- these are just some of the, the, the truly beautiful things about what it means for us that Jesus is our high priest. And so that's kind of where, that is what I would have added. Because um, in my sermon, I spent more time focusing on what it meant for us that Jesus is our pioneer. Um, and really, the two things are very closely connected. Um, these are essentially two different angles from which we can appreciate the the one redemptive work of Christ. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things, too, about... Jesus being the priest is he's also the lamb. I mean, granted, granted, like the high priest. Yeah, yeah, he's the priest and the sacrifice. And the sacrifice at the same time. And I think that's really, really cool. But at the same time, the priest is also like that is a life sacrifice. The high priest, like Mm -hmm. his entire world is ensuring that the sacrifices are good and Mm -hmm. ready and and pleasing to 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 God and following, making sure that the letter of the law is actually followed there. And that he's prepared to offer them. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, there were very strict regulations set upon the the priests uh, in Aaron's family mm-hmm. um, that uh, things like, of course, they <coughs> couldn't eat certain things. Uh, there were uh, certain kinds of people that they could not marry, even mm-hmm. if the rest of the Israelites could. Yep. Uh, they yep. could not touch a dead body. So you know, if one of their, if one of their close relatives died, they couldn't touch the body. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and that that has to do with uh, with that idea of consecration. Something that is consecrated is um, the best illustration I can think of for that are things like um, the the fine china in your hutch yep. or or what I've called before holy towels, you know, those <laughs> special little towels yeah, yeah, yeah. that hang up in the bathroom and they're 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 mainly there just to look good. They're not there for everyday use. Uh, same thing with the with the china plates in the hutch. They're there for special occasions. Yep. Similar idea with the way that God consecrated people and especially the priests. He took these people and he removed them from yeah. from their normal relationships. And he set them apart for a special purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna mention that they are basically completely removed. They're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, before, before the, before the advent. Sorry, we have, we have a third person. If you can't hear her, um, with us, but, um, before the advent of Christ, um, the, the high priest was basically to be as close to the image of God as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really, it's really humbling to to think that God expected a non, non-divine person to be able to do that, or at least attempt to do that, which I think is, it's, it has a very lofty view of, of man, and it kind of speaks to our intrinsic value that God gave us in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, but even then, to even have the incarnation, because that's pretty much what your entire sermon revolved around was the incarnation. Yeah. Um, and to see that God sent 
the son to be incarnate in the human form mm-hmm. speaks to the level of value or the, the depth of value that God places on us. That he's like, I, I'm, it's worth um, taking on to not commit the kinetic heresy, um, <laughs> um, to be, to take on human flesh rather than to divest himself. Um, but to take on human flesh, it's worth that mm-hmm. in order well, we were, to, to have communion again. Yeah. Our, our worth was communicated or I might say our worth was elevated by his love. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it really is a testament to his love because one of the, one of the truly, uh, unique and distinct things about about uh, the priesthood and the atonement in the Bible is that as opposed to pagan religions where you know in a in the in the pagan religions um, making sacrifices was more of a commercial thing mm-hmm. uh, it was more of a transactionary thing where yeah. I'm gonna make this sacrifice because because <laughs> Uh, in in pagan religions, the concept of the gods is more so that they were they're essentially just like people, but uh, they just have superpowers. But mm-hmm. they're they're just as petty. There's just as much uh, politics and and ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And you know they they fight like cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. And so in the pagan religions, the idea is you you offer this sacrifice to. Uh, appease an offended deity. And the only reason you're doing that is because you believe that this deity has the power to either make your life easier or harder. Mm-hmm. And so you're just going to offer them something that costs you a lot to try to impress them and get on their good side. Um, the difference between that and the and atonement and sacrifice in Scripture is that God took the initiative that... Mm-hmm. He he had his wrath was a real thing, and he had wrath against us, but that wrath didn't drown out his love, and this is the one of the the awesome things about God, um, that his his. I'm not sure exactly how I would put it um, right now, other than this, other than to say that he is he is in complete control of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not his. <clears throat> It's not to say that his emotions cannot be intense, that they are. His wrath is powerful. His mm-hmm. love is powerful. All of his emotions are powerful, but they don't run away with him. But even though he yeah. had wrath against us, his love for us was, was also so great that he was the one to provide a way mm-hmm. for his own wrath to be satisfied and pacified. Mm-hmm. He was the one who provided. He was the one who... He, he, he gave Moses all the instructions for the priesthood. He was the one who appointed Aaron. Mm-hmm. Now, this wasn't something that, that the people, the human be- people, contrived and put together and said, oh, well, let's offer this up to God and hopefully this is good enough. No, God gave them all the instructions for this. God provided the high priest in Christ, the ultimate high priest. God provided the sacrifice, just like he did for Abraham, who, mm-hmm. who was about to um, slay Isaac yep. in obedience to God. Mm-hmm. And again, God set all this whole thing up as an illustration because it was he was preaching Christ before Christ came. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, for anyone who might not be familiar with the story, uh, Abraham, who was kind of the forefather of Israel and really the forefather of, of everyone who ever puts their faith in Christ, according to, uh, according to the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Abraham, he has this son Isaac that God had promised him, even though he's well past the age of bearing kids, uh, he and his wife both. But God brings them Isaac. And then one day God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son that I promised you and delivered, and you're going to go sacrifice him on this mountain. And Abraham, to his credit, I mean, I can't only, you can only imagine, or maybe <laughs> we can't imagine what, what he must have experienced in that moment. Oh, but gosh, to, no. to his credit, he <laughs> obeyed. And yeah. there's, there's no record anywhere in Scripture that he, you know, hemmed and hawed about this for days. He, yeah. like, We're not able oh. to get into the mind of he knew Abraham He yet. knew you don't argue with Yahweh. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. okay, he gathered the stuff, he got his son, uh, and they went on the trip. And they got to the top of the mountain. He had Isaac bound on the altar, and he had his hand raised with the knife. He was about to kill this son because... Now, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham, he had faith in God that even if Isaac was killed, that... God could bring him back. Mm-hmm. So Abraham's trust was in God. But at the, the moment co- when he had that yeah. hand raised, God said, okay, stop. Now I know that your heart is mine. And right then and there, there was a ram caught by its horns in a thicket nearby. Mm-hmm. And that was a picture that Isaac being a sinful man, just like Abraham, that both of them deserved to die. But right in this moment when they were about to, when Isaac was about to die, God has provided a sacrifice, a substitute to take Isaac's place. Um, and that was a, a foreshadowing. That was a, a picture of the gospel and of Jesus before Jesus came. Which is, you know, a lot of, and what, this was one of the, the Sadducees' issue with, with the resurrection <clears throat> um, when Jesus was talking about the resurrection and the final resurrection and everything and what was to come, it was the Sadducees that were like, "That's not a thing." But if you look, if you look back, you know, Hebrews gives us the ability to help us interpret what was going on with Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jesus was like, "No, it's clearly there. You're just not seeing it." Right. So, which then shows that the resurrection. Or the the idea of the resurrection and bodily resurrection was there in Genesis. Oh yeah. So it's like, and you really thought that, you know, God couldn't do it. Like, <laughs> so right. Yeah, and it, the, and I think the and Hebrews is really famous for having the definition of faith that we all have mm-hmm. that we all use, um, but I think that. Abraham has a really good example of that. It's not just this ivory tower, highfalutin, like, wafty cloud, woo-woo type. You mean faith? Faith, yeah. It's yeah. not just something that you're, it's it, It's just out there and it's this surreal, cerebral type thing. It's this thing that is put into action that is based upon prior, it's based on history. Yeah. Of, of um, It's God's, based on evidence. <clears throat> yeah. And 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 God's and our ability to recognize that this was God 
And if he's been, if he's proven himself to be trustworthy here, then he's going to be proving himself to be trustworthy in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's where that bridge of truth or trust and faith, it, sometimes it gets kind of lost in translation and transliteration and, and all of the different things that go along with that. And it's really, you know, faith is really just a trust mm-hmm. that God is going to continue to be God and to quote Anselm, the greatest conceivable being that is maximally perfect. Yeah. Uh, and there are there are some versions of, of the Bible, some translations that uh, instead of saying faith in Hebrews 11 and other other places, they say they say trust. Um, like, for instance, the complete Jewish Bible uh, uses trust. And I think that's a, I think it's a great rendering. Mm-hmm. Not, not that too. faith is a bad word. Uh, the only problem is that faith just has so much. Uh, so much theology and philosophy kind of surrounding it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Because I think that the, the way that we toss that word around, you know, just have faith. Yeah, it gets money. Uh, well, faith in what? Um, because Hebrews 11.1 1 says uh, that faith, well, let me open it up just to make <laughs> sure that I don't misquote it. Yeah, but I mean, just kind of to pull as you're flipping there, to pull from the culture, faith is this really, really muddy term. It gets tossed in for anything and everything mm-hmm. that, you know, I have faith in my wife that she's going to come home on time. Yeah, It's like, well, that's when you sit down and think about it, it's because in the past she's come home on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I think the the misconception or misunderstanding about faith that bothers me most is the idea of faith as being a a cause or a force in and of itself. Um, and I think part of that has to do with the way that uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 is translated sometimes. Like here in the CSB, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Or in... Older versions uh, would say faith is the substance of what is hoped for. But that word can also be translated, and there's actually a footnote here in the CSB. It could be faith is the assurance of what is hoped for. Now, I suppose you could, you could think of it as being an assurance that is so certain that you might as well be holding the thing um, in your hand. But the point that I would make there is that faith does not have power in and of itself to bring anything about. Um, it, it is a trust. And if there's, if there's not something that you have faith in that is worthy of that faith, then the faith itself is worthless. Um, in other words, the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking with the Corinthians, there, were, there was a faction amongst the church in Corinth that also denied the resurrection. And Paul basically said that their faith, their faith, if, he said, if Jesus did not in fact rise from the dead, then their faith was worthless. Because a faith, well, the the point is that, that Jesus represented us, that we were summed up in him, uh, covenantally. And so Jesus died, we died in him. If he didn't resurrect, then we don't either, was was the logic. 
And Paul was saying, if this was not a historical fact, then it really doesn't matter what you believe. Mm -hmm. So faith doesn't have power in and of itself to make something true. Faith has to be, I, I think of faith more of as a subjective trust. But that subjective trust has to be rooted in objective reality. Yeah. It is a it is a historical fact. Jesus died and he came back. And upon that objective reality, uh, my faith has a firm foundation and a ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I think that kind of sums up uh, a lot of what we've what you've already been talking about, um, especially with the incarnation, like. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that we have to take a leap of faith as in a blind type of way. No, but, I don't think biblical faith is blind. No, no, not at all. Um, but we've seen God do things in the Old Testament that are very tangible, and he does things in a way that are very unexpected. Yeah. Unexpected of us, um, or from us. Mm-hmm. So... Now, <coughs> there are certain things that we do have to accept without being able to completely understand them. Um, oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's, there's a difference. There's a difference between there's a difference between believing something, accepting something with no evidence at all, and believing something that maybe you can't quite wrap your head around, but you still have historical evidence that it occurred. Yeah, you know, I. The incarnation for me, the incarnation is in, is an even greater mystery than the Trinity. Like just for me personally, it's <laughs> yeah. like uh, logically the Trinity gives me less trouble because you know God is again God's a higher order of being than we are, so His transcendent being is great enough to accommodate three distinct persons in one essence. Okay, you know I I don't fully understand that either, but. To me, when I think of the Incarnation, I think of somebody who wrote a book, and then, like a novel, and then they insert themselves into the world of that story. And not just that they write a character into the story that represents themselves, but they enter into that subordinate reality that they created. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, the Incarnation is something like that. And how, how God would sort of cross that that essential or that that uh that boundary of being uh from one plane down to the next yeah but but i i can't wrap my head around it but if i'm going to be saved i have to believe it took place yeah and i have more than enough historical evidence testimony in scripture which Scripture, if nothing else, is a collection of historical documents. I have testimony that give evidence, plenty of evidence, for me to believe that it happened. Yeah, yeah. I really can't quite understand how that works, Mm -hmm. but I can still believe that it did, and I can stand on evidence to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I think is a a really good place to just kind of cap that. Or yep. cap the whole conversation is, um, we don't have to understand the incarnation, how God works, um, but we have good reason to believe that at least He worked. 
and, mm-hmm. and don't have to understand how it works, but <clears throat> we do need to understand why he did it and what it was meant to accomplish. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. God has gone into plenty of detail mm-hmm. to explain that to us. Yes. No matter how much more we think we can learn and how much we how much more we will learn once we get there. Mm-hmm. Um it's still that faith and trust. Yeah. Faith slash trust um needs to still be there. Um <clears throat> but Joe, thank you for thank you for the sermon. Thank you for uh, the discussion Absolutely. and um, for talking a little bit of you know faith and yeah. um, Old Testament, uh, some Old Testament kind of connections. And I hope how, this uh, how that helps whole... to clarify something for our three listeners. <laughs> 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 I hope so too, um, because there's a lot. Um, you know, faith might the word faith might be muddy, but there's a lot of things that are related to faith that are also muddy. So if we can oh, help yeah. clear clear the water on certain things, then I think then, you know, job well done. Um, Yeah. At least our section of the river is clean or clearer. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I just want to remind you, for those of you that are listening, um, that this is not a replacement for the Sunday sermon. It is more of of like a vitamin. It's a supplement to it. Um, And we want to encourage you, especially as we approach um, Christmas um, this coming Monday, to um, go to... A Christmas Eve service, um, preferably one that you're going to feel the full weight of Advent and and the gospel, um, because that's really what Advent is here to proclaim. So we are super excited for Christmas. We're ready um, to celebrate Advent and the coming of Christ, or the coming of Christ, and um, we will see you all next time. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Thank you.